The physical changes are secondary. It's the mental transformation that gets people hooked on health and fitness. Welcome to the Mental Reps Podcast, where you've come to grow your mind in order to transform your body. I'm your host, Deanna. Let's dive right in. Hello and welcome back to the MRP. I'm your host, Deanna, and if you are new here, you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. I'm so glad to have you listening and really excited, as I always am, for today's episode, but mainly because this week's topic and this week's episode is for all of you. That is right, we are going to be doing a question and answer where you have all supplied the questions and I will be providing, yes, the answers. So thank you to everyone who did submit a question. There are quite a few that we are gonna be going over today. Um, I had posted a question box over on my Instagram uh, and gave you all the chance to anonymously ask questions, pick my brain, whether that was health and fitness, personal, things about me, um, totally random. I mean, just giving you guys a chance to A, get to know me a little bit better, but B, also ask questions about your progress and your fitness journey and having me kind of weigh in a little bit. So like I said, there are quite a few questions that I want to cover and still deciding, I guess it'll depend on how long I decide to rant and rave for each of these, uh, whether or not I'm going to be splitting up today's episode into two separate parts. So if that is the case and I do not get to your question today, there is a very solid chance that there will be a Q&A part two coming out very, very shortly. So without further ado, I'm going to dive right in. Let's do it. Question number one reads, hello, hi there. (laughs) I am increasing my calories after too much time spent in a deficit. After reaching my maintenance calories, how long would it be advisable to wait for the next cut? Great question. So I've covered this a little bit in previous episodes with just nutrition in general, but bottom line is, and a really good rule of thumb for anyone out there is however long and however much time you spend in a deficit, spend the equal and same amount of time out of one. So if you were cutting or in a deficit for six months, you should be strategically not in a calorie deficit for a minimum of six months. It's going to make a really good point here to emphasize hormonal balance and get your body back to where it should be. Because as this person mentioned and whoever did ask this question, they spent too much time in a deficit, basically exaggerating and exacerbating the negative effects that could potentially come right along with being uh, low on calories for a duration of time. So like I said, six months spent in a deficit should be about six months spent out of it. Now, when it comes to the second piece of this question with uh, after reaching my maintenance calories, how long you know before jumping back in, I would question and dig a little deeper here to ask why. Why are we going back into a cut? Is there a body composition goal? Is there a certain weight loss goal? Is there a reason for jumping back into one? Because bottom line is to what a lot of my clients have found, what I have found for myself, as well as time spent at your maintenance calories is like heaven on earth. Right? You're eating a good amount, you're maintaining the progress that you have worked so hard to build, your hormones should be at a good level. Things are just good. And again, my question would be, why are we gonna be jumping back into a cut or why are we rushing into that next cut? Because even if it's six months in, six months out, at the end of the six months spent at maintenance and feeling good, I mean, I really do want you and, and really advise you to question whether or not it's a, it's a good idea to jump back in. So looking at things like biofeedback, like I mentioned, hormones, energy, 
your overall body composition, your mood, strength in the gym, um, and just make sure that that is in, you know in line with who you want to be, who you know what you want your body to look like. And again, spending time at maintenance is never a bad idea. So I would just not rush that process and take as much time as you need getting your body back to baseline levels because if it had been a really long period of time spent in a deficit, um, there's a good chance it's going to require a little bit of work on the back end in order for things to level out and really even be in a good position to be jumping back into a calorie deficit. Next question reads, what are your tips to avoid bloating? And going off of that as well, another question read, for some time I have suffered a lot of swelling with any food or even water, experiencing a lot of bloating. Any tips to combat that? So I kind of paired the two of these together. Um, and it's actually very interesting timing here. And we'll get into this later on in the show with a few of the other questions. Uh, I am currently in the midst of dealing with quite a few different health and gut health issues myself. So I am not going to speak to this personally until we get down to that question but in general and tips to avoid bloating there are a few things you can do um, to help but bottom line is bloating is typically your body negatively responding to something in your diet in your environment and that should be identified first so I think bloating in general has become like the buzzword of social media and fitness and bloating is normal, no, bloating is not normal, or it's okay to be bloated, or no, it's not okay. There's so much conflicting information there. But bottom line is, again, your body should not be experiencing severe bloating or even swelling like this question had listed um, after you are eating food, after you're drinking water. I mean, your body needs to be able to properly digest and break down what you are consuming. And if it's not properly breaking it down, that's when the bloating occurs. So again, like I said, there are a few things that you can do or at least look out for. Um, one of those things is just eating too quickly. I know I'm very guilty of this being as on the go and, you know, trying to cram as many things in my day as possible. I will shove my food down as quick as possible. And that is one of the quickest ways to, you know, instantly bloat post meal, even if it's food that you typically can digest pretty well. So slow down your eating. Um, I want to challenge whoever asked this to count the amount of times you chew your food before you swallow. And I know that sounds crazy, uh, but doing that and being mindful of that will cause you to slow down and not be shoveling food down, eating your meal as quickly as possible. Okay, so being a little bit more mindful with how slow you eat uh, can help with bloating. Also being mindful of the amount of water consumed during your meals. So you actually don't want to be consuming excess water while you're eating your meal because that will tend to cause some inflammation, cause some bloating, and can even kind of irregulate the stomach acid that you need uh, in order to properly digest the foods and not bloat. So again, just being mindful. You don't want to be chugging down water or really any beverage during your meal. You want to give that time to the food itself. Uh, another tip to avoid bloating is to avoid screens uh, or screen time while you are eating. Um, a lot of times our brains get distracted in a way by the screen that we are, you know, watching a show or we're scrolling through Instagram or we're watching TikToks while we're eating lunch. Uh, all fine and good, but a lot of times your body gets distracted and it forgets like, hey, I'm eating. I'm supposed to be producing enzymes and acids and digesting the food that I'm consuming because it's so preoccupied with a screen and whatever it is that you're watching or engaging with. Um, so again, not going to be a, a total 
solution to the bloating, but a few things that we can do. Also just a smaller portion control, portion sizes. If you eat a little bit smaller meals, that tends to help with bloating a little bit as well. Um, but like I said, for the individual who asked about, you know, a lot of swelling post food, post meal, post water, uh, that is not something that you can combat with slower eating or smaller bites. That is definitely your body negatively responding to something that is in your diet. Next question reads, are you on birth control? Yes, yes, I have been on birth control in the form of a pill since I was about 17, maybe 18, 17 uh, years old. So I've been on birth control for quite a bit. Um, there has been more and more research kind of coming out and the more I get deeper into my own fitness journey that promotes you know, obviously birth control not being the best thing for you, especially over a sustained period of time. Um, however, at this point in my life, I'm not quite ready to make the jump to come off of it. And I know when I do hit that point, as, as everybody does, it's going to be a little bit of work. Uh, and by a little bit, I mean probably a lot of it of work to re-regulate and rebalance out my hormones and my body kind of doing the thing on its own, so to speak. But yes, currently I am on birth control. Next question reads, did you create an LLC before launching your podcast? So yes and no uh, to answer this question. I did create an LLC for my coaching business and me working with clients and coaching and the way that that you know, industry and field and career requires me to do so. However, that LLC is not associated with my podcast. So it's not, you know, the, the mental reps podcast LLC. Um, I do have an LLC called top tier fitness, which is why, where I conduct probably all of my, you know, fitness related, um, you know, business, basically all, all my money, all my finances, uh, paychecks, all of that goes through my LLC. And that's, how I pay myself and how I make money and, and being an entrepreneur, that's the way you kind of have to go. So yes and no, I do have an LLC, like I mentioned, but again, it is not necessarily for my podcast or associated with my podcast. And to go off of that a little bit as well for whoever is asking, um, I can't tell you if that is the right way to go. I would assume so. If you are embarking on anything as an entrepreneur for yourself, for your I don't know, a company you created or whatever it's going to be. Yes, I would highly recommend and advise that you do create an LLC. And in all honesty, it's a pretty simple process. I'm pretty sure you can do all of it online. Um, you do have to pay a little bit of money to acquire that LLC. But again, it's going to be super helpful and beneficial for moving forward. If again, you're going more of that solo entrepreneur, business, company creation, uh, more creative field. And it's very different. And it's still a, a huge learning curve for me to understand that world because I certainly do not. Hence why I can't fully answer this question. Um, it's so different from being in, you know, corporate America or just I don't know, working for an established company as, as an employer, like you are your employer, you are working for yourself, you are building something for you, you are paying yourself. It's, it's just, it's such a different realm. And obviously that bleeds into taxes and money and finances. And again, I am fitness. <laughs> I, I know a lot about a lot. Uh, taxes and money is not one of them and definitely not my strong suit. So for whoever's asking this question again, I would argue, yes, you do need one for continued, you know, progression in that field. Uh, but for a podcast specifically, unknown. Next question reads, and I love this one. If someone is just starting out on their health and fitness journey and is super overwhelmed, what is the best way to start? 
All right, let's dive a little deeper into this one. So first and foremost, if you are just starting out on your health and fitness journey, congratulations. I know it seems crazy. It seems like there's a long road ahead, but bottom line is taking that first step and even just asking this question, you're exactly where you need to be. And I'm really, really proud of you for that because there is a ton of information out there and there is no question as to why you are overwhelmed because there's a lot. And the problem is there's a lot of things that conflict each other. Should I do strength training? Should I do cardio? Should I count my macros? Should I eat intuitively? Am I supposed to be fasting? Well, how much water do I drink? Should I hit a step goal? I could go on and on and on for 25 minutes of the amount of unknowns and questionable factors play a role in starting your health and fitness journey. And the biggest thing I want to say with starting as well is you do not, do not need to have it all figured out. In fact, you shouldn't. I'm going to argue that making mistakes and doing, you know, technically the wrong thing, so to speak, through your fitness journey is the best way to learn, to grow, and to more so identify what works best for you. Because I can sit here and talk through a number of factors, and I will in in just a second, that can help you get started. But bottom line is, if it's not going to work for you, it doesn't matter what I say. If I sit here and preach on the benefits of strength training until I'm blue in the face two hours later and you in your fitness journey just can't seem to stick with it, then it's not for you. It doesn't have to be for you and you don't have to fit the mold of what so many people are trying to create when it comes to what's best for your health and fitness journey. So if you are just starting out, I would say that the best way to go about this is to find small actions that you can do daily. The number one factor and the most important piece of your fitness journey is consistency. So if you're just starting out, do not go embarking on 25 different things that you know dang well in about two weeks you're not going to be able to stick with, right? Don't trick yourself into thinking that you can. Don't try to pretend like you have the most discipline out of anyone in the whole entire world. If you know you can't do blank for the rest of your life, do not start it. Don't start cutting out carbs if you can't stick with it. Don't start cutting out sweets if you can't stick with it. Don't start going to the gym seven days a week if you can't stick with it. Do you get the theme there? That, that's kind of the way you should be approaching the start of your health and fitness journey. You've got to ask yourself, what small action can I do daily that I enjoy, right? That's another piece of it as well. You want to enjoy this whole process. And I can't say that you're going to enjoy it from day one, but I promise if you're doing the right things and the things that you like and enjoy, you will fall in love with the process. And then guess what? You're going to be more consistent. And with that increased consistency, you're going to see more progress and more results. So bottom line is it doesn't need to be anything drastic. To get a little bit more specific, because I know you guys are like, that's really vague, ma'am. What the heck? What am I supposed to do with that? If you are just starting out, I would recommend a few things. I would recommend, A, trying to move your body every day. It can be super small. It could be a 10-minute walk in the morning. It could be a 30-minute jog, run, whatever you enjoy. Try to move your body daily. As you continue to get a little bit further on in this journey, I would add another layer to that and say pick an activity that you enjoy, whether that's strength training, whether that's spin class, whether that's yoga or whatever it is, whatever you enjoy, try to do that for at least 30 minutes, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and stay with it. Stay consistent. I would say pick days that you are always going to do that activity. 
the problem a lot of people run into when they're starting their fitness journeys, they don't have jack shit in place for habits, routines, lifestyle, nothing. They got nothing. They know they have to be at work from nine to five, Monday through Friday. And that is just about all the structure that they have in their daily life, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you are now starting something that's going to require a heck of a lot more structure, a heck of a lot more discipline and way more on your plate than just a nine to five, Monday through Friday, you're going to need to start small and you're going to need to stick with it because it's not normal. It's not natural. It's not what you've ever done before. Right. Think about anything in life that you're starting for the first time. You're going to have a lot of questions and you're probably going to want to quit. Do not quit. Ask your questions and stick with it. So find an activity that you enjoy. Do that three times a week. I can sit here, like I said, and argue the benefits of strength training. And if you are open to that as your activity, go for it. 1000%. I have made many, many mistakes through my fitness journey. And the one thing I can say I've learned from all of that is strength training is probably if not the best way to, re- to achieve your physique goals, whether that's muscle building, fat loss, toning up, definition, whatever it's going to be, strength training can do and will do all of those things if done correctly. So taking a step further, strength train three times a week, about 30 minutes. If you're liking it, it's working for you, you're feeling good, bump it to 45. Feeling good, bump it to 60 right? Kind of increasing slowly but surely those activities. Same thing applies for any activity. If you're loving spin class, go a couple more times a week. Go for a little longer. Make it a little bit more intense. Build as you enjoy it and you get better at it. Don't build before you're ready. When it comes to nutrition as well, there are so many things out there. So many things. I wish I could delete them all and just erase them from the internet. There are so many things out there that tell you the freaking wrong thing. Cut out carbs, cut out sweets, cut out fats. Oh my gosh, you cannot eat watermelon if you want to lose weight. It's like, what the fuck? Where do we even come up with this shit? I have no idea. When it comes to nutrition, same concept applies. Eat the foods that you like. Make healthy choices and eat things in moderation. I like to practice the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time and 80% of my calories are coming from good food. And we all know what good food is. Okay, Don't, Don't sit here and be like, the internet told me watermelon is bad. Like, no, it's not. Bad is fast food and McDonald's and burger, cheeseburger, fries, bacon, process this, process that. You, we all know, we're all intelligent human beings here. We all know what's healthy versus what's not. What you don't want to do is start diving deep into the rabbit hole of social media and the internet on what's healthy versus what not. Because I guarantee once you jump into that rabbit hole, you are going to find that every food has some sort of negative to it right? Don't eat avocados or if too much fruit is bad and pasta is the worst thing for you. Like enough, enough, enough. 80% of your food that you eat, make it a healthy meal. 20% of the food that you're consuming, make it something you enjoy. Maybe that's a glass of wine at the end of the night. Maybe that is a McDonald's burger. Maybe that's a little bit of ice cream on a Friday night. Whatever your thing is, 20% of the time, you're enjoying those things. If you can stick with that balance, as well as moving your body a little bit more, you'll start to develop habits, routines, things you like, and you'll be able to build on that. But bottom line is you have to lay that solid foundation first before you are diving into the nitty gritty, the tiny little details. Don't worry about it. And the reason people worry about it is because they're so damn concerned with how quick I can get there and how long is this going to take? And well, if I do everything perfect right off the jump, I'll get there faster. Like, yeah, maybe, but who knows how to do everything perfect? I sure as shit don't. And if you try to do everything perfect right off the jump, it's going to be way too much of an adjustment and you're not going to stick with it. Back to that consistency factor. So 
small actions that you can do daily that you enjoy and build from there. Next question reads, what is your opinion on fat burners? Don't do it. Don't waste your money. Don't waste your time. There is a such a small percentage of the population who needs or benefits from a fat burner. And unfortunately, it's 0% of the population who is buying and using and purchasing fat burners, okay? If you are doing that, I'm going to argue, and you could correct me if, you're, if I'm wrong, I'm going to argue that you are trying to achieve X result faster. And you're probably not the best with your nutrition. You're probably not the best with your diet. You're probably not the best with your workout routine. And you're looking for quicker results from your half-assed effort. True or false? The answer is true. You don't need a fat burner. You need to get your ass back into the gym, figure out your lifts, figure out your nutrition, get a little bit more consistent there before you start introducing a help, an aid. You know, that's it's, it's just not the way to go. Personally, I've never taken a fat burner in my life. Uh, I probably don't really ever intend to. I think fat burners are useful for, again, a small percent of the population. And I'm not talking down about fat burners. There, there are benefits there for sure. I just don't think that the common population, the common human being on the their health and fitness journey needs that. So if you're struggling to burn fat, instead of saying, how do I burn it faster? What's the quickest way there? Instead, play the long game of getting your nutrition a little bit more in check, making sure making sure you are in a calorie deficit all the dang time, getting consistent with your workouts, moving a little bit more, sleeping a little bit better, paying attention to the factors that will actually burn fat and keep it off, not just relying on an aid. Okay, so that's kind of like if you're, I don't know, if you're a pilot and you're always relying on autopilot. Like, yeah, you're up there and you're like making sure things are going well and you're putting in work, sure, but the autopilot setting is like flying the plane for you. I don't know if that's even a valid reason. I don't know anything about flying at all. I don't know how that popped into my head, but if you are relying on a fat burner, you're probably not really putting in the effort. You're kind of just like relying on that. Like, oh, that'll do the work for me. And there's a good chance if that's the case, it won't work. Because that's what a lot of people don't understand about fat burners either is like you still have to put in the work. That's even kind of the same misconception with like steroid use and, and things like that. Not to get into that at all in this show, but people have such a misconception like, oh, so-and-so took steroids. They're huge. Like, you know, you don't just pop a pill or whatever and, and you blow up and now you're jacked city. Like you still have to put in that work. Same thing applies for a fat burner. And sure, you can use it as an aid to maybe push you along in your journey, but more of your attention should be focused and geared towards a consistent calorie deficit, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, mitigating stress levels, and getting in a consistent lifting schedule. Next question reads, tips to deal with sweet cravings, especially at night or after dinner. Girlfriend, me and you both, if you have any answers to this, let your girl know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I do deal with the same thing, though, for sure. I definitely get cravings, sweet, you know, I want a piece of chocolate after dinner, or it's a little bit later at night, and I want something sweet, I want dessert. I'm right there with you. I never pretend to be a superhuman when it comes to my nutrition, because I'm not. Uh, I enjoyed the shit out of two crumble cookies last night, and they were freaking phenomenal, and that's great. I'm going to move about the rest of my week like nothing to it. But when it comes to dealing with cravings specifically, after dinner, at night, after a meal, uh, what I have found is a lot of that becomes a habit. So just like you form a habit of, I don't know, brushing your teeth when you wake up in the morning, if you're consistently giving yourself chocolate after you eat dinner, that habit is forming as well. 
And the same thing applies for just like snacking throughout your day. If you're like one of those people who's always snacking, you always got like your arm half into a bag of granola or chips or pretzels or whatever's in the kitchen, that becomes a habit. And the more you play into that, the more deep-rooted that habit gets. So I'm going to argue that or question this person and just see if you are consistently giving in to those cravings. Uh, If the answer is yes, I'm going to challenge you to break it down. If you typically have chocolate after dinner seven days a week, make it five days. Give yourself two days where you're like, I'm just not going to do it tonight. I'm just not going to do it. Same way you have to be disciplined to build habits, you have to be more disciplined to break them. So if that is you, I would argue or I would suggest trying to break it um, by just slowly but surely tapering off of it. Um, But as well as that too, sometimes in order to help me with sweet cravings or snack cravings, I like to just remove myself from the environment. Um, So after dinner, I'll go on a little bit of a digestive walk. That way I'm out of the house. I'm not near the snacks or the chocolate or the kitchen. I'm getting some steps in. I'm helping my body with digestion. And by the time I come back inside, I don't really have those cravings anymore. I distracted my brain and my habit enough so that I didn't give into it. Um, Same thing applies for late at night as well. I used to get really, really bad with this when we were like deep into quarantine and COVID and everyone was home all the dang time. It was like, what can I make tonight? I used to have such a fun time with it until, you know, it had to be put to an end. So... I used to brush my teeth earlier on in the night. So if I'm having dinner like six o'clock or I'm having something after dinner by like seven, eight, whatever, I'm gonna brush my teeth right afterwards. And not that that is like the end and be all, I won't go have something sweet, but I'm a lot less likely to then eat something else and have to rebrush my teeth before getting into bed, right? Because I'm kind of creating a habit of like, I ate dinner, I let myself digest, I brushed my teeth, like kitchen's closed, we're done for the night kind of deal. And I can, you know, break the habit of needing something at night because I I don't need it, right? There's a difference between needing something and wanting something. And cravings are typically you just wanting something. You don't really need it. So putting factors in play. Um, Same thing with like after I eat a meal, every now and then sometimes I'll pop in like some Tic Tacs or just a mint in general to get the dinner or food taste out of my mouth without reaching immediately for something sweet um, in that regard. So that's helped me a little bit. Again, I don't think those are like super scientific to help with your cravings. Uh, There is a deeper layer there. If you are constantly craving sweets, you can be more of a hormonal balance even. Um, But if it's just something that's kind of been a little bit of a routine after dinner, I would try to stick with some of those. Next question reads, do, 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 have you thought about hosting fitness challenges? Heck yeah. Absolutely. If you guys know me, or even if you don't know me, and this is the first time you're listening to this show, I am competitive as shit. I want to win. And I want to purposely create things in my life to win. Like, I, that's just the way my brain works. I was an athlete my whole life. I was always competing. I always, like, I have that in me where, like, I want to win. I don't even care what it is that we're competing for or if the other person doesn't even know we're competing. Right? Like, if I'm walking on the sidewalk and so-and-so is walking beside me, like, I'm going to beat them to, to the mailbox. I'm going to walk faster. Like it's not, they don't know it's a race, but I know it's a race. I'm competing and I'm going to win. I just, that is the way my brain works for better or for worse. I'm very fucking competitive and I love it. I absolutely love it. So when it comes to hosting fitness challenges or even creating fitness challenges, absolutely. I am all for anything that gets people in that like friendly competition zone and bettering themselves because of it. So I haven't thought too, too much about this. I know that there's a lot of people out there who host, you know, 
30-day ab challenges or weight loss challenges or, you know, bodybuilding, whatever. There's, there's a ton of stuff out there, um, but I would love to get into this space. And whoever asked this question or anyone who's listening who has some ideas or has a challenge in mind that they would like to see me host and kind of put on for you guys, I am all for it. I would love, love, love to do that. And it's definitely something that is kind of a near future game plan for me when it comes to just growing in the fitness industry, growing my name, growing my brand, growing you know who I am. I want to be able to reach and help as many people as possible. And I know sure as shit, I am not the only one out there who's super competitive or loves a little bit of a challenge or needs you know a little bit of that extra accountability to show up 5% more each day. Because that's another great thing about challenges and even being in that environment and in that space, you're going to just show up a little bit more purely for being there, right? Even if it's something that you do every day as is, for example, I hit, you know, 12,000 steps is what I hit every single day. If I were to join a challenge that needed me to hit 12,000 steps every day, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just be more intentional with it. I'm going to probably hit it earlier in the day. I'm going to show up more just simply because I'm in that space with others doing it together. Um, and that's what I love about the challenge is yes, the competitive nature, but more so that community, that accountability and like, Hey, we're all here together getting better. That's fucking dope. That is so, oh, I freaking love that. So yes, absolutely thinking about hosting certain fitness challenges and things in the future, but also love to do, this is way future goals, but just like in-person workouts or meetups or I don't know, events, things like that, where we can all kind of come together and crush it. Um, That would be super, super dope. And again, if anyone has any ideas, let your girl know. Next question is, did you finally move out of Connecticut? And if so, how are you liking it? So yes and no, I'm like half moved out of Connecticut. So I am currently in North Carolina. Um, I've been loving it so far. Definitely a good change up from, you know, the upper Northeast in, in that regard. Um, but like I said, only really half moved here. My, you know, a lot of my stuff is still in Connecticut. My car is still in Connecticut. So it's a, in a transitional phase for sure. But I have been really, really enjoying North Carolina and just getting to know the area a little bit more, seeing different things, um, being in Charlotte a little bit as well. And it's been super cool. Definitely a, a great change if I've been in Connecticut pretty much nonstop since I graduated college. I was in Maryland for college, back home to Connecticut, and has I've been pretty much planted there ever since. So definitely liking it so far. Next question is, worst fear, not health and fitness related. So I read this question and I can't, like, I can't think of a health and fitness fear. Like, I, like, I don't, I don't, a fear of I don't, not reaching like my physical goals or I don't know. I, I thought this was interesting because when I hear the question like worst fear, the last place my brain goes is health and fitness. Um, but when it comes to what my worst fear is or my biggest fear, a few things kind of come to mind um, and they kind of do relate to each other. So my biggest fear in life and, and kind of what drives me as well is just fearing that I will never reach my truest potential that I will never be as successful as I maybe thought I could be or, you know, could have done if I did X, Y, and Z. Just that fear, not even fear of failure. I don't, I don't fear failing and and having to learn and grow from that. I fear not ever really getting there. Like I have this idea in my head that like, I can't even, I can't even wrap my brain around how successful I want to be, the impact that I want to have, the growth that I want to see, the people that I want to help. Like I 
I can't, it's not even a tangible goal. That's how big it is. And my worst fear is never even getting close. And that's not to say that there's not going to be success along the way. And I will gladly acknowledge and accept that. But my fear more so comes from the idea that I'll fall short. And that to me is, is super scary. And it's becoming more and more relevant. And I guess a bigger fear, the older that I get, I just turned 24 and recognizing that no one's going to do this shit for me. Like if I want to have that impact, I want to have that outreach and be able to help the amount of people that I like, it's not just going to fall into my lap. And I think when you're young and you're growing up and you're starting to learn about, you know, your, your goals and, and your desires and what you want out of life, it's like, I'll get there. Like, I, I, I know I'm a hard worker. Like, great. That's great. That's fantastic. That, that's not going to get you anywhere. And it sucks to say that. And it sucks to think about it. And I'm not saying it in a negative way, but being a hard worker now at 24 years old, like, I don't know, anyone who's going to be successful is going to be a hard worker. Like, duh, that's, that's the minimum requirement. It's what's going to set me apart and, and drive me to be above and beyond the most successful person. Why, what do I have to do? Who do I need to be in order to get there? Because for the longest time, just relying on myself being a hard worker or being super disciplined or really smart, like I always got good grades, like that's, it's going to help, of course. Like those are skills that you need to succeed, but those are not skills that are going to get me above and beyond. And that's what my biggest fear is, is, is falling short in that capacity. And I said there was a few things that I thought of. So going off of that, um, it's, it's the fear of falling short and not being able to give back to my family. So I, I'm a triplet. There's three of me. And then I also have a younger brother as well. So growing up in a family of six with, with four kids, um, three of us being the same age, we've got sports, we've got responsibilities, we've got, I mean, my parents busted their asses and continue to do so for me, for my siblings, my brothers, my sisters, like they continue to give everything that they possibly can to us. And I have chills even just talking about this. I'm so incredibly grateful for everything that they have done and given me. And it's never, ever been easy. And my worst fear is that I don't reach that level of success and, you know, where I can give back. Like, I want to fucking buy my parents a $3 million palace on the beach because they love the beach. I want to buy my mom a new car. I want to buy my mom a freaking Tesla because that woman is not a good driver and she needs a car that could just drive itself at this point. Like I want to be able to just give back and continually, I don't know, I don't even know what the right word is, like shower my loved ones in anything that they could want and more. And they are not physical, tangible, you know, materialistic people at all. Um, They never have been. Nobody in my family is. I'm not that way either. But how freaking cool would it be to be like, hey, mom and dad, I just bought you a beach house in, in Aruba. Like, here's my private jet. Go fly there any day of the week. Right? Like, of course, that's, that's the most extreme example I could possibly give. But to be able to just support and supply for them um, and give back in a way that they've given to me, not just for my parents, but really all my loved ones, anyone in my life who's kind of had that impact, that to me would be freaking incredible. So my worst fear comes from me not doing what I need to do and not holding myself to the standards that I need to get there. And then that having like a trickle down effect to what I have planned for everyone else in my life. So that is, that is my worst fear. I wish I could be like, my worst fear is snakes. Like, I don't give a shit about snakes. 
that's fine. Like snakes, cool. Like that, it is what it is. My worst fear is so much deeper than that. Um, and it's kind of good and bad because it definitely drives me to do more and never ever freaking settle. You'll very rarely hear me say that I'm proud of myself or I can't believe I accomplished that. Or I'm just like, like, ah. And it's not, I know that's kind of a negative thing to say as well. I am proud of myself and I do think I've had some great accomplishments, but it's so not even close to what I want to do. So it just, it keeps me going. It keeps me driven um, and it keeps me getting up and getting after it every day. All right. Next question reads, must haves in a relationship and deal breakers. So I was actually just talking through this uh, with a client of mine who just went through a little bit of a breakup and we were kind of talking through a a similar, similar question. So for me, must haves in a relationship, um, gotta be goal driven, gotta be goal oriented for sure. They, they need to have not at all figured out. I don't need to know their 10 year plan and exactly how they're going to get there. But like any individual and this question asks for relationships i'm just talking generally about people in my life as well like the people who i want to be surrounded with and surrounded by and in the relationships i have with them like they have to be goal oriented they got to know what they want and they got to be willing to work for it so that as well as ambitious like just get the fuck after it like i don't think that there's anything more attractive than someone who won't let a single fucking thing stand in their way whatever it is they want. Like they are getting from point A to point B. It doesn't matter what it is that's coming between them. They're pushing forward. Like to me, I think that is such an attractive characteristic and and something I'm certainly drawn to because I'm very much the same way myself. Um, And I don't think a lot of people are like that. And I think a lot of people say that they are. They say that they're disciplined. They say that they're driven. Um, But to truly show that and show it more than they speak it, I think is very, very unique and very uncommon. So that is definitely a must-have. I also just someone who's slightly adventurous, uh, mostly for selfish reasons, because I'm very much a routine person. I stick to my routine. And if left to my own devices, I would literally do the same thing at the same time every day single fucking day and that's fine that's great it helps me out for sure with work and tasks and success great but that's not what life is about um so having someone in in my life who is slightly adventurous and pulls me out of my comfort zone pulls me out of my routine and forces me to break that pattern i I really highly value that um and i'm probably going to argue you till i'm blue in the face about not wanting to do it but i'm super super grateful for those moments and those people in my life um also someone who's very health conscious I don't need the biggest, buffest person in the room, but having a active role in your health and being a part of, you know, being on your health and fitness journey and giving a shit about that, I think is very important. Um, again, not super physically driven, but if you don't care about your health and your appearance, then that to me says a lot more about who you are as a person. It's not just, oh, you don't look a certain way. It's if you don't look a certain way, there's a chance you also don't value X, Y, and Z. And that to me, I care a lot more about. Um, another thing more relationship related is my family's got to approve. I'm talking about my family a lot, but they are everything to me and they are such a huge part of my life and, and such a big piece of the puzzle that like my family's got to like you. Like we have to be on the same page. We have to be, you know, in line in that realm. And I want my family to see that and approve of that. So as far as deal breakers go, um, pretty much quite the opposite, <laughs> lazy, unmotivated, unhealthy, um, emotionally unstable. If you are on a roller coaster ride every single day with your emotions, like count me out. I, I, I don't do well with that. I like stability. I like, you know, being able to rely on you when I need it. And I'm very, very independent. So when I do need people, it's like a very 
unique and a very uh, unpredictable situation. So I need you to be stable as shit because if I'm coming to you and I need help, that's saying a lot. So emotionally unstable as well, as far as deal breakers go, I can't really think of anything. I mean, if they're like rude to people, like hate that, hate that. If people are rude while you're out, if you go out to dinner with someone and they're rude as shit to the waiter, oh my gosh, like I'm mortified. I'm going to get up and leave. I think that is so disrespectful. I think that that says a lot about who you are as a person. And I don't care if that waiter was like the worst waiter you've ever had in your life. They gave you the wrong order six times. They were an hour late. Like, I don't care. You're, you don't, you're not rude to people. You don't disrespect people like that. That, that drives me crazy. That's actually probably one of my top deal breakers or, you know, pet peeves, uh, in that sense. But as far as like physical qualities go, I don't really have anything that's like a must have or a deal breaker. It's not like, Oh, you know, so-and-so has got to be blonde. Like I love blondes. I, I just, to me, that stuff is so surface level that if you are checking the boxes for all of my must-haves, blonde, brunette, I, like a red hair, green hair, it doesn't freaking matter to me at all. So those are kind of my top choices uh, for each of those. Back to health and fitness we go. Next question is, is it possible to lose fat and gain muscle at the same time around my maintenance calories if I've only been lifting for about a year? So short answer, yes. Yep, absolutely. If you are eating at your maintenance calories, you're actually putting yourself in the best position possible to lose fat and gain muscle. Now, the reason there's so much uh, controversy around this topic um, is because that neither of those things are going to happen as quickly as they could in other phases. Meaning, at maintenance calories, you might lose a little bit of fat and gain a little bit of muscle. But if either one of those is your primary goal, you have to be more geared towards one versus the other because they are conflicting. So in order to lose fat, you have to be in a calorie deficit. You have to be eating less food than you are burning every day. In order to specifically gain muscle, you have to be in a calorie surplus, meaning you are consuming more calories than you are burning every single day. So for you to sit in the middle, right at maintenance, you're not in a deficit, but you're not in a surplus, you're kind of teeter-tottering between the two, which absolutely, yes, both can happen. But like I said, it's going to be a lot less drastic in either direction. So for most people, if your goal is to tone up or look toned or see more muscle definition, and you don't necessarily have a big weight loss goal, I would argue that sitting and eating right around maintenance calories is probably going to be best for your specific goal and your specific body composition, especially if you've only been lifting for about a year. So for anyone new here, the term that we like to use for this is kind of newbie gains. Um, Basically, when you're a newbie to lifting, you've only been lifting for about a year or you're kind of new to this routine, your body essentially gets like shocked into the benefits. And it's a good thing. It's a great thing. And it helps a lot of newbies and beginners um, kind of stick with this because the bottom line is lifting muscle growth, physical changes, all of those things take a fucking lot of time, a lot of time, more time than most people are willing to stick with it. So the one light at the end of that tunnel is if you are new to lifting, there's a very good chance you're going to see results relatively rapidly in comparison to someone who's been lifting for five plus years. Um, So again, if you are kind of new, uh, sitting at maintenance calories is going to be best case scenario if if you're looking to do any of those things like I mentioned. If you've got a 40 pound weight loss goal, no, sitting at maintenance calories and eating at maintenance calories is not going to be best for you. You're going to need to lose the fat and then gain the muscle. We got to kind of 
of pick one than the other, but depending on individually where you're at in your journey and what your current physique looks like, being at maintenance calories, you can absolutely expect to see some fat loss as well as some muscle gain as long as your nutrition and your workouts are in line with that. Next question is, what memory instantly makes you smile? Oh, that's a good one. I'm smiling just thinking about it. Um, bah, 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 probably, <laughs> probably the memory of uh, bringing home my cat. So my cat's name is Beans. Uh, he is a very chunky boy. He's a big, fat, black cat hence the name Beans, um, which we did not know when we named him. We just knew he was a little black cat. So we named him Beans and now he literally looks like a giant bean. So the reason that memory brings home, uh, brings home, that memory brings a smile to my face is because the story of bringing him home was uh, absolutely absurd to think back on. And I smile thinking about it because it was so ridiculous. So this was my sophomore, the end of my sophomore year of high school. Um, I didn't have any pets. Like I mentioned earlier, my house was very hectic and chaotic as is with all of us. There was no need for animals into this environment. So my family loves animals. We love dogs. We love cats. We just, we were always the, we're always on the go type of people. We can't take care of an animal. So cats are obviously a little bit less work than a dog, so to speak. But we, my sister and I were at gymnastics practice and my coach brought in these tiny little black kittens. There was two of them and she brought them in in this little box with blankets. Like I kid you not, I think these things were newborns. Like they weren't even the size of like the palm of my hand. They were tiny, tiny, tiny. And she basically said she found them, you know, outside of her garage and she didn't really know where they came from or where the mom was or what the situation was, but she brought them in and was like, does anybody want a kitten? And I was like, uh, fuck yeah. Like, what do you mean? It was a cute, and I'm not even really a cat person. Like, I, I mean, I am, but if I were to pick, I would pick dogs. Um, but this thing was the most precious little being. It didn't even look real. Um, and she asked, does anybody want a kitten? And me and my sister looked at each other. I was like, dude, I want a cat. She's like, I want a cat too. And right at that moment, my mom was coming in to pick us up. Like I said, I was a sophomore in high school. She walked into the gym and she saw the commotion and was like, what is going on? My mom is 100% a cat person. So she walks in, her heart melts and she's losing it over how cute these two little kittens are freaking out. Oh my gosh, this, that. And I ask her, I'm like, mom, she doesn't want the kittens. Like, what are we going to do? We have to bring it home. Otherwise they're not going to have a home. And she's like, oh my gosh, Deanna, you know, we, we can't, we can't, the whole spiel that I've been hearing my entire life about why we can't have pets and we're never home and we're too busy, blah, 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 whatever. I'm heartbroken. My sister's upset. We leave. We don't have a kitten. I'm pissed. The next day I decide to text my coach and say, Hey, I changed my mind. My mom would actually love a kitten. We spoke last night and I need you to bring one of them in. I'm going to be taking it home after practice today. She says, great. Sounds awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll bring the kid. So practice ends. Um, she's walking back into the gym and she's got my tiny little kitten. Uh, yeah, never asked my parents, never even thought to bring it up to them again. My mom asked my dad, he said, absolutely not. That was the end of the conversation. And me and my sister showed up to practice. I told her my plan. She almost lost her mind. And I said, we are sneaking this cat into my house. We're doing it. Like, Dara, we need a cat. Like, look how cute this thing is. We need a cat. Mom would love a cat. Me and you will take care of this thing. 
until further notice. Like, we don't even have to tell them. She's like, what do you mean we don't have to tell them? I'm like, we have a spare room downstairs. We'll keep the kitten down there. We'll buy some food, a couple blankets. How hard could it be? It's a kitten. We got this. And she's like, all right, cool. All right, bet. Me and her know nothing. I've never had a cat in my life. I don't. I've never had a pet. Nothing. I'm like, we're going to do this. Like, let's fucking go. So I call my brother who's home and let him know about the plan um, because we were going to be bringing a kitten home and we like needed all hands on deck. And like the four of us, the four kids, were going to all pitch in to take care of this kitten without telling my parents. Um, you know, fast forward, whatever. We're on our way home from practice. My dad picks us up. I'm shitting bricks because I know if he finds me carrying this cat, he's going to lose his goddamn mind. And I didn't want to tell him. So we get in the car from practice and I have this tiny little black kitten in this like basically shopping bag looking thing with like a blanket at the bottom. And I'm like slowly creeping my way out to the car. We get in the car. My sister jumps in the front seat. She's like, oh, dad, you got to hear this new song. Cranks the music up because this kitten is crying in the bag. And we have about a 10 minute ride home. And it was the longest 10 minutes of my entire life. Long story short, we get the cat home. We are bringing it in in this bag, trying to hustle through the kitchen so that my mom doesn't see. And my little brother, who was uh, very young at the time, has the widest eyes and is like, let me see, let me see. And my mom catches on within seconds and goes, what? Let me see what? And, you know, here we go. I open up the bag and I bring out tiny little beans and I'm holding beans in my palm of my hand and... She's staring at me. Her face is beet red, clenching her jaw as she did. And she's looking at my dad. And my dad goes, what the fuck is that? And I had to explain that it's a cat. And I, on the fly, made up this entire story about us just needing to babysit the cat for the weekend because my coach was going to be out of town and we just needed to take care of this kitten. So that weekend of taking care of the kitten has now been about what? Almost 10 years later, we still have Beans. Beans is mighty large. He is the favorite family member, and everyone absolutely loves him. Uh, That was a very long-winded story of a memory that makes me smile, but that story cracks me up, and it could have turned out so poorly. But the second we pulled that little tiny cat, little tiny kitten out of the bag, there was no way my whole family wasn't going to love it. So that was that story, and yes, we still have Beans, and we freaking love him. So I told you guys earlier in the show, you guys came at me with these questions and we are, believe it or not, not only a little bit less than a quarter of the way through all of them. So I am going to end this part one of my Q&A here and come at you guys next week with the remainder of the questions, maybe even adding to a few of them as well. Um, A lot more health and fitness related, a lot more questions on gut health, my current gut health issues, supplementation, uh, calories, staying lean, how I stay lean you guys really really did come at me with quite a few additional ones and ones that I absolutely want to be answering so I hate to do it to you but stay tuned for part two thank you to everyone who asked a question and participated in the Q&A um, I talked about this a little bit on my Instagram but I can't really host a Q&A without the cues so I appreciate you guys a ton and I'm really really excited already to be recording part two and going through a lot more of your health and fitness questions and giving my advice and my feedback uh, in regards to some of the specific instances that you guys are in as well. So thank you all very, very much for tuning in to part one and I will see you next week.